can uh, make your way in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Luke, chapter 8. We're going to be looking this evening at the parable of the sower. Luke, chapter 8. We'll be reading uh, verses 4 through 15. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. So I'll read our text first in its entirety, and then, uh, then I'll pray. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathered... And people from town after town came to him, that is Jesus. He said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, the ones along the path are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root, they believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray. God, we come to you this evening. Lord, we acknowledge our need that it must be granted to us to have eyes to see, to have ears that hear, to understand the mysterious truths of your kingdom. Lord, we pray that you would grant those to us tonight. As we look at your word, you would give us understanding. God, we thank you for the blessing of having your word available to read and hear and understand. Lord, we pray that uh, we would not take that for granted, but that uh, you would bless it to us this evening. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to have the privilege of being with you guys on a semi-regular basis from September, October, and November. So uh, I was asked if I have some kind of a, a series, and I didn't have one 
at the time. But I thought, okay, well, I better start preparing for one. And then I found out, oh, I get to be with you guys this evening. So I said, okay, well, we're just going to go ahead and start that series. So I plan when I'm with you in the, the coming evenings uh, to do a series on the parables of Jesus, to look at his parables. And um, so we're going to begin with probably one of the most uh, well-known of the parables, and that is the parable of the sower. So a, the parables seem to be Jesus's favorite teaching tool, right? We, we, as we read the Gospels, we see that he seems to continually be launching off into parables. But unfortunately, the parables are often misunderstood and misused and misapplied. Uh, so let's start with a definition of a parable. A parable is a story usually taken from everyday life that illustrates a spiritual truth and is meant to provoke a response to that truth. Right? His, his parables come from, as we read through it, what would have been everyday common life and occurrences in Jesus' own times. Right? Uh, sowing and reaping. Right? This would have been the everyday life of Jesus' hearers, planting seeds, seeing some seeds wither away. Right? We planted about three or four green bean things in our front yard and <laughs> only one of them is doing well. <laughs> right? The, the common things to life, but yet Jesus brings illustrating spiritual truth, deep truths through these everyday events. So first let's look at just the basics of this parable, the parable of the sower. Um, so the parable consists of a story that would have been familiar to Jesus' hearers. They lived in a rural society, an agrarian society. Planting and harvesting would have been part of their rhythms of life. They would have been familiar with birds eating seeds, sun scorching plants, weeds choking plants. These were everyday occurrences to Jesus' Jewish Middle Eastern audience. They knew the blessing of a good harvest, and they knew all the forces that worked against them to ruin their labors. But Jesus ends his parable by calling out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So this clues us in that Jesus was doing more than just giving us farming advice. So after he tells the parable, uh, Jesus' disciples approach him to inquire what this quaint story has to do with anything. But before explaining the parable, Jesus tells his disciples that they have the privilege of being told plainly the secrets of the kingdom of God. Every account of the parable of the sower in Matthew, Mark, and Luke follows this same pattern, right? Telling the parable then Jesus' explanation to the disciples, telling them what the purpose of his parables are, and then explaining what the parable of the sower means. Um, Jesus pauses before explaining the parable to explain that these parables have a double effect. Right? We see that in uh, verse 10. 
He says, to you, the disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that, right, purpose, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So notice that repetition. Seeing they may not see, and then hearing they may not, we would expect them to say, may not hear, right? Seeing they don't see. Hearing, they don't, but he interprets what he means. They don't understand, right? There's a seeing, and then there's a seeing, right? There's a hearing, right? Like many of you parents, right? Talking to your kids. Yeah, you heard me, but you didn't hear me, right? You're not listening. You don't understand. That's why I had to say it 20 times. Right? There's a hearing with understanding. That's what Jesus is saying. So these parables have this double effect. On the one hand, to some, to those who are following Christ and have faith in Christ, these parables illustrate, these parables instruct, these parables enlighten. But to others who don't have faith, they just go right over their heads. It, it has this almost like, He's concealing the truth instead of making it plain. So there's a double-edged sword here to these parables. They can illustrate or they can hide. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you have this privilege to hear, to understand, to be plainly told how God's kingdom is working. What, what are the inner workings of God's work in this world. You get a back, not back row seat, that's a bad thing, behind the curtain, behind the scenes look at the working of God's kingdom. And so then he finally, Jesus begins to explain what the parable of the sower meant, is intended to illustrate. And of course that begins in verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. The sower of the seed illustrates the one preaching the word of God, right? preaching the message of salvation, preaching the gospel. And the various types of soil represents various hearers and how they respond to that message. Three of these hearers are unfruitful and undesirable responses. But the fourth is the right response, representing a person who humbly receives the word, persevering in that faith and bearing fruit in that faith. So the point, what is the point of the parable? Uh, When interpreting a parable, it is best to ask, what are the point or points that this parable is driving home? Right, uh, this morning, I've been doing a Sunday school class at Grace Emmanuel, and we're talking about interpreting the scripture, and lo and behold, we're on how to interpret parables. And, you know, our tendency with parables is to try to find, you know, especially with one like this, where there are allegorical elements, right? The seed represents God's word. The soils represent different hearers. So we look at, okay, what correlates to what, Right? 
Now, it's fine if Jesus explains it and says this correlates to this, but we don't want to go too far. We don't want to interpret a parable more allegorically than it's supposed to be. What's good with the parable is to step back from that parable and say, okay, what's the point? What's, what's Jesus trying to communicate? What's he, what truth is he trying to drive home uh, with this parable? So Jesus has explained for us what elements of the story correspond to what. Now we need to get the point. One of the biggest clues to the point of this parable is to note what word or idea is most often repeated in this parable. In this parable, it is the word hear, as in listen with your ears, right? Hear. Right? He ends the parable in verse 8. He ends the parable with, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In verse 10, he talks about, Although seeing, they do not see. Although hearing, they do not understand. Verse 12, the one along the path is the ones who have heard. Verse 13, the ones by the rock are those who have heard the word. Verse 14, those who fell among thorns are those who hear. And then verse 15, those for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart. So hear, hear, hearing, 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 right? That's the most often repeated word. And connected to hearing is the idea of hearing with understanding and hearing without understanding. So just as a farmer scatters seed and that seed has various receptions and effects in different places, so the truth of the gospel is proclaimed by the preacher and that message has various receptions and effects on various listeners. But verse 12 shows us what is at stake with this hearing of God's word. Look again at verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard this message, heard the word. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. All right, here's the point. All right, he's not talking about, oh, you know, they missed that good encouragement. They missed that little bit of encouragement that preacher threw out there and, oh, they're not going not gonna to be blessed this week. No, we're not talking about temporal blessings. We are talking about eternal salvation. We are talking about the soul of this person hanging in the balance. That is what is at stake. What hangs in the balance when we hear the scriptures proclaimed, and specifically when Jesus Christ is proclaimed to us as Savior and Redeemer, what hangs in the balance is our eternal soul. It is our salvation. It is our eternal happiness or our eternal misery that depends on how we hear and understand and respond to God's word. God has chosen this means and this message to save a people for himself. Uh, Turn over to Romans chapter 10. Which way am I going here? Romans chapter 10. 
Paul describes this same kind of process. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul begins with this premise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls in faith upon Jesus Christ for salvation will be saved. But then he works backwards. How can they call on a, on a Savior they haven't believed in? How can they believe in a Savior they've never heard of? And how can they hear about a Savior without someone going to proclaim him? All right, so there is this process. God has ordained this process, proclaiming truth, proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified, proclaiming man's sin and guilt, proclaiming God's grace and mercy in Christ as the process through which sinners are saved. You have to, you're not going to call upon Jesus if you've never heard of who He is. So, Paul ends there with faith comes from hearing the word of Christ. Right? That message is proclaimed as seed is scattered out. It's heard. It's believed. It's embraced. And people are saved. We see this also described in 1 Corinthians. How it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It is through the preaching of the scriptures, presenting Jesus Christ as Savior and Redeemer, that God has chosen to save a group of sinners by begetting faith in them as they hear that message. Can you even imagine that God, through the ordinary act of speaking and listening, is performing an extraordinary, supernatural Saving work. I mean, it's because I think we, we, we're so exposed to the preaching of the gospel. We're so exposed to the word of God that sometimes we miss it. Right? That, that every Sunday, God's grace is being proclaimed. The, the door of heaven is being flung open. And not just on Sundays, but when you share the gospel with a coworker, when you present the gospel to a random person on the street, the doors of God's mercy are being thrown open. The way of salvation is being illuminated like neon signs saying, bzz, bzz, salvation, grace, through a simple act of speaking and listening. 
Speaking and listening. Proclaiming and hearing. Hearing, hearing. It's so ordinary. It's so unspectacular. Kind of like sowing seed. It was a common, ordinary, everyday experience. Yet through this ordinary means, God saves sinners. He bids people to come in, to come to Christ, to receive his mercy. So what then is the point of Jesus' parable? I think it's summarized very well by Jesus himself in Luke chapter 8, down in verse 18. After he's finished the parable, in verse 18 he says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Take care how you hear. How are you listening to this word? So let me draw several applications from this parable. First of all, I think this parable should prompt us to appreciate the word, appreciate the scriptures and the preaching of God's scriptures. While people, many people still today live and die in darkness, as Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 says, living without hope and without God in the world. Yet God has blessed us with access to the scriptures, available in our own language. We probably own many, many copies. At any time, we can pick up the word of God and read it and learn what God has done for us in Christ. And not only that, not only do we have access to the scriptures, but God has providentially put you under sound and straightforward preaching of the Bible week by week. While others may be blinded or lulled to sleep by false teachers, by sermon peddlers and ear ticklers, you have the grace of sound biblical preaching. What a privilege. What a privilege. What grace is poured out in this room and many other churches week by week by week. Do you appreciate what privileges and graces God has given to you by making his word and sound preaching of his word available to you week after week? The Jews had experienced a famine of God's word for many hundreds of years. Right? After the Old Testament prophets were done and silenced, 400 some years went by without a proclaimer of the word of God. And this is why when John the Baptist shows up, when Jesus shows up, people are flooded. It says, uh, verse, the, verse 4, when a great crowd was gathered and people from town after town came to him, came to Jesus. They weren't like, well, you know, we'll wait till Jesus, uh, you know, his schedule frees up and he comes to our town. Then, you know, then we'll listen. No, they said, there's a prophet 
There's someone proclaiming the word of God. We'll go out in the wilderness. We'll, we'll hike days. We'll go to the Jordan wilderness to hear these guys proclaiming the word of God. Why were they so hungry? Why were they so willing to endure discomfort and go to great lengths? Because they hadn't had the word of God proclaimed for 400 years. And how long has God given us the privilege of having it right in front of us? Having it come to us in an air-conditioned building and a heated in the, in the wintertime. Comfortable seats. What a privilege. May God have mercy on us and not give us what we deserve and take his word from us for 400 years before we appreciate what we have in front of us. Appreciation for the word. Secondly, I think the main point and main application of this parable is a call to hear the preaching of God's word rightly and correctly. Just as in the parable, the condition of the ground determined the reception and the effect of the seed, in the same way, the condition of our heart often determines the reception and the effect of God's word upon us. Let me say that one more time. The condition of our heart often determines the reception and effect of God's word upon us. Well, you know, I'm just not getting anything out of that guy's preaching. Well, maybe the problem is not the preacher. Maybe, maybe. It could be within the realm of possibility that it's our heart. That it's our heart that is hard and not receiving the soil or stony and not producing fruit in that soil of God's word. So, we notice in verse 15, this good soil says, The person represented in the good soil held fast to the word in an honest and good heart. So the first, how, so how do we hear the word of God rightly? How do we rightly listen to the word of God? It begins with heart preparation. Heart preparation. The right hearing of God's word begins with preparing our own hearts. Uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. All right, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word. So heart preparation begins with, includes repentance and humility. Repentance and humility. Sin must be put away or the word cannot be received. Right? You, we, we can't live in unrepentant sin and then think that God's word is going to feed us or make an impact on our heart. We can't be chasing after the world and selfishness and sin and think, 
the scriptures are going to feed us or grow within us. It's hardened soil. Humility. The natural pride of our heart must be plowed up with humility in preparation to receive the word. Humility is that plow, the plow of the hard ground. Humility is the plow of the heart. Prepares us to humbly receive, right? You can't pridefully receive the word of God. You can't come to God's word in in pride and self-importance and self-righteousness and have that word make any impact. It's going to bounce right off. So we must humble ourselves, repent, confess our sin, come humbly to receive the word of God. The word must be received with faith. The word must be received with faith. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. So he's talking, he's comparing uh, Old Testament saints to the New Testament saints, right? They're saying good news came to them just as it came to us. Now he's talking about right before they enter the promised land, right? So they have a promise of God. God has given them a promise. That land over there is yours. I will give it to you. That was their gospel. That was the message of God to them. And there were some who believed it, and there were some who did not. They did not hear that word with faith. They didn't believe that God would do what he said he would do. And so that word had no effect on them. So hearing the word does no good if we do not receive that word with faith. That is, we must believe that the scriptures are true. And that the promises made by God in the gospel are reliable. His promises are true and they're reliable. This word is true. This word is real. His promises will come to pass. We have to receive that with faith. So first, heart preparation. Second, receiving that word with faith. And then thirdly, we must receive the word with the intention to apply it and obey it. Back to, back to James chapter 1. So first James tells us, we saw in verse 21, to put away our sin, to humbly receive the word. And then verse, he picks up right there in verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So we have to hear the word humbly and repentantly, and we have to hear the word with the intention of obeying it, right? This, we're not here to be entertained, right? We're not here to um, tickle your ears. 
The, the, the word is to be applied. And the same thing when we, when we come to read the word, when we come to read the scriptures. I know that's often the hardest part, right? We, we read it, we observe some, we interpret, okay, what does this mean? But then we need to go to, all right, how, how does this impact me? How, what should I do? How should I obey this word? Is it telling me to believe something, to do something? We have to come with the intention to apply it and obey it. So, we should appreciate the word. We should hear the word rightly, preparing our hearts, receiving it with faith, with all intention to apply and obey as the Holy Spirit enables us to do so. But I think there's a third application to this parable. And I think I'll probably spend a little more time on this third one. This is the last one. I think this parable shows us the characteristics of genuine faith in the Word. The characteristics of genuine faith in the Word. And I draw that application by contrasting the first three soils, or the first three listeners, with the fourth. The fourth one. They're they're a direct contrast. Let me find my way back to Luke here. Oops, too far. Luke chapter 8. So the, the first soil, right? They did not understand the word. So the devil came and took that word away. The second soil, they had no root. Right? So they withered away. And the third, they were weeds that choked the word and made it unfruitful. And so we see how in the fourth soil, it contrasts with all three of those elements. They hear the word and receive it. They understand it and receive it. They hold it fast. They preserve it, persevere in it. And they bear fruit in it. So it's contrasted with every one of those other soils. So, it shows us what genuine faith looks like. What characterizes genuine faith. So, well, first of all, genuine faith is an understanding faith. Um, A person in in the first soil, they hear, but they do not understand. And so, the word is taken away. True faith must understand the message of the gospel. Right? True faith has to understand, receive truth. Right? I understand this. I get it. I believe it. This contradicts the Catholic idea of implicit faith. Implicit faith says that people don't really need to know or understand the doctrines of the gospel. All they need to do is trust in the church and accept the teachings of the church and say that the church is true, and if that's true, then they'll be saved. They say that's implicit faith. No, no, because this person doesn't understand. The, fir- the person in the first soil, they don't get it. They don't get, I'm a sinner. They don't get, Christ died for my sin. They don't get it. They're not, they don't have faith. They're not saved. We're not saved by simply saying, well, I'll just, I just trust the church. Or they're not, you're not saved because, well, I'm a Christian. Right? 
And my family was, and I grew up in church, and I go to church, and it's really cool, I like the music. No. You're saved by understanding truth. God illuminates truth to your mind. The truth, you are a sinner. You have to understand that. Receive it. You can't say, well, yeah, I mean, I do some bad things, but I'm a good person overall. No. You are a sinner. You've sinned against God. That's all you and I have ever done, and we deserve hell. We have to understand God's grace and mercy comes through Jesus Christ. That He is God and man come to this world. That He is our substitute. That He lived a righteous life in our place. That He took our sin upon Himself on that cross, suffering the wrath of God, that punishment for our sin in our place. That He died and rose again. Think of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed says, this is what you got to know. This is what Christianity is about. You've got to confess, I believe this. That genuine faith is an understanding faith. Secondly, we see genuine faith is a persevering faith. When we look at the second soil, we see this. It is not uh, saving faith. Genuine faith is not a fit of conviction. It's not a spasm of religion that comes over a person for a short time. Right? Perhaps you've experienced that or you know someone like that. Right? Someone just barrels into the church one Sunday having this conviction, oh man, I had a near-death experience. You know, I, I got to get saved. And so it seems like they have an amazing conversion. But you don't see them next month. You don't see them ever again. Never again do they come through that door. Saving faith is not a momentary, short, temporary thing. Genuine faith flows from a new and God-given spiritual life. And that life continues on. It persists and it grows. Although the person represented in this soil may have, in the, the second soil, may have an initial joyful response to the gospel, it is soon proved short-lived. It is unable to pass through the trials and the testing of difficulty. Now as evangelical Christians... We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe in the reality of a supernatural conversion. And so we often put great stock in the moment of conversion, right? Was it dramatic? There were tears of sorrow. There were raptures of joy in believing. Again, notice in this soil, right? Where am I? Uh, In verse 13. The one on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. I mean, that sounds good. They receive the gospel with joy. There is an emotional response to this message. There are tears. There are shouts of joy. But these have no root. 
They believe for a while. And in the time of testing, fall away. These can have, of course, our response to the gospel, emotional response, that can have its place, right? It has its place. But Jesus seems to be emphasizing not the drama of the moment of faith, but rather its persistent continuation. That is a greater mark of true faith, right? Not, the, not necessarily a dramatic moment, but a persistent continuation, So what does this mean? Well, we should not rest in a one-time decision. No matter how dramatic, if there is no continuing, lasting, and persevering faith. Salvation is not a flash in the pan, but it is an oil lamp lighted and maintained in the heart by God himself. Salvation is not a flash in the pan. It is a work of God. He starts it. He continues it. He maintains it. He finishes it. That is saving faith. Also, you should not be discouraged if your testimony of faith seems ordinary and uninteresting. Right? You're just like, well, you know, I don't have that testimony story. I don't have that. I was addicted to drugs for 20 years and this and that. And I was in jail and I saw a light. And, you know, that's not my testimony. I mean, I was saved, at, you know, I was eight years old. I'm, that's not me, but I'm just saying maybe it's you. Right? That's not important. The important thing is that it's there. Faith is there. And as you look back in spite of Satan's best efforts to blow it out and the world's best efforts to drown it out, the lamp still burns. Is that your testimony? We still confess today, I'm an unworthy sinner, but Jesus Christ is a mighty Savior. My hope in life and in death is that I belong to Him. That is the mark of true Faith. And then finally, genuine faith is a fruitful faith. Genuine faith is a fruitful faith. We look at the third and the fourth soils and we see this truth. The third soil is not plagued by drought, but almost the exact opposite. Too many other things are growing and competing for the affections In this heart. Jesus tells us that these faith-choking thorns are the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life. Saving faith in Jesus Christ causes us to see and to live and to love another world. Faith in Jesus Christ causes us to see faith Uh, Now I just blanked out on Hebrews. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. No. Somebody quote that for me. The evidence of things not seen. There you go. 
So we're, we're thinking, we're, we're seeing things unseen. When, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, it's as if we've walked through that wardrobe in Narnia to another world. We see things that other people can't see. No, don't go on some paranormal TV show. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying we see truths and realities that are not in this world. We see a judgment to come. We see a heaven and we see a hell. We see a God and we see a devil. We, we see these things and believe these things. And we live by those things. I lost my place in my notes. And this new world that we love and long for is so different and diametrically opposed to this present world that they cannot coexist in the same heart. The love of this world and the love of God cannot exist in the same heart. They're going in opposite directions. The cares and the priorities of these two worlds, this world and the world to come, are opposites. Their value systems are non-exchangeable. They don't go, their currency doesn't go across borders here. And what are considered pleasures in these two kingdoms are irreconcilable. The love of this world with its sinful desires and pleasures cannot coexist with genuine faith which loves and seeks and takes pleasure in God and His rule through Jesus Christ. One will inevitably choke out and kill the other. Joy in Christ will choke out pleasures in sin and this world, or the pleasures in sin will choke out our joy in Christ. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ and in His gospel is characterized by patient fruit-bearing. That is, fruit-bearing is manifesting the attitudes and actions that are consistent with Jesus Christ and His redemptive work within us. So let me put that together again. Genuine faith in Jesus Christ and His gospel will be characterized by a growing manifestation of attitudes and actions that are consistent with Christ and His redemptive work in us. And what are some of those things? A humble and repentant attitude. A hatred of sin. Our sin. Not just our neighbor's sin, but our sin. A love for God. A love for our neighbor and an even greater love for our fellow believer and Christian. A desire to obey and please God. A desire for reading and hearing the scriptures and for bringing our life into more and more conformity to those scriptures. These are some of the fruits that genuine faith produces. So test yours against this scripture standard. Has your hearing of God's word brought forth these things? Has it brought forth an understanding and an embrace of the gospel? A lasting and persevering faith in Jesus Christ that, yes, it will go up and down, but it will slowly be, you know, 
like that stock market, you know, the stock market's always going up and down. But what's the projection? Is it going up? Is it going down? Where's the long-term projection of that faith? And it will bring forth the fruit of a changed life, the fruit of the gospel in our life. And again, that fruit's not always going to be the same. It's not always going to be consistent, but it will be there and it will be growing So the parable, this parable calls us to hear God's word carefully and to respond to it with faith, perseverance, and obedience. Every time God's word is preached faithfully, the door to heaven is opened. The way to everlasting joy is explained. So take care how you hear. Listen as though your life depended on it, because it does. Listen humbly, listen prayerfully, listen believingly. Take hold of Jesus Christ. Take hold of his promise of mercy in the gospel. Persevere in this faith and pull the weeds, anything that would threaten to choke out your love for Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we praise you that in such a simple story, you have hidden treasures, uh, eternal treasures, eternal truths, Lord, that call us to understand the privilege that we have to have your word, to hear it preached. Lord, let us not take for granted this privilege. Lord God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us softened hearts to receive your word, to bear fruit in it, to persevere in it. Lord God, that you might be glorified by the harvest of our faith and the harvest of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.